Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. But today we're continuing our series in the year of the Bible where we've identified in partnership with the Bible Project, 50 major events throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation. So next March, this coming March, next March, we're going to end in the book of Revelation. And so as we preach, as we, as we share through the whole Bible, we're going to see the heart of God that's manifested in Scripture, not just for somebody somewhere, but for you. And so we know and we believe that these are the words of God. And when you engage with them, you encounter him in a way that you would not unless you read his word. So many people say, what does God want me to do with my life? And you say, well, have you read the Bible? No, I'm just waiting on God. Well, you should probably start in the Bible. And as you read it, he reveals himself to you. And so as we continue to go through the scriptures, we're going to see some things that are going to be challenging maybe to, to our view. And what's happened over the years of Christianity is we've, we've, taken, we've taken some of these major events and we've isolated them or isolated them where in a way that, that we think, oh, this is the most important. But it's not because that event is in conjunction with the other events that help you see the heart of God. And so last week, we, we leaned into some, some things in the book of Genesis that maybe you've never heard before. But just as a little recap, we, 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 di- we kind of dipped our toe into the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that we live in. Meaning, we live in a spiritual world. And there are spiritual forces that are against God's purpose. And there are spiritual forces that are against God's people. Those who are in Christ. But because of man's rebellion... As we saw last week at the Tower of Babel, where once again, humankind rejects God, rejects God's purposes, God knowing that as they're united with one language, that they would keep doing this. They would keep rejecting him, which was not their purpose. Their purpose was to bring forth his image and his purpose on the face of the planet. And God knowing this, that that, that they would continue to cultivate their destructive ways God confused their languages. He separated them by common language and geographical location and he gave them the inheritance that they wanted. And just like mankind from the very beginning, they still want this inheritance from God and that is, I don't want you, I want my independence. And so mankind rejected God. They received their inheritance, which was not you, God. And all this happened at the Tower of Babel. And we read last week, Genesis eleven nine 9, that there the Lord confused their language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. But God in his mercy, though, God in his mercy. Everybody say mercy. God's a God of mercy. In his mercy and desire to take care of mankind, to, to, for them to continue to be watched over. And he allowed them to exercise their free will and reject him, but he still wanted them to be watched over. He assigned over them to care for them, to care for the newly formed nations. He assigned over them created angelic beings. His divine assistance would, would be a way to understand that. Or, or the Bible calls them sons of God or the divine counsel or or 
heavenly hosts, which simply means angelic beings created by God to partner with God in bringing forth his will and his purpose for the people of the earth that God loves dearly, even though they rejected him. And so this is what happened. And Moses writes about the results of the Tower of Babel event in Deuteronomy 32. He said, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. That is where God assigned humanity over to these lesser, lesser beings than himself. There's only one true God. And so he assigns them to lesser beings or you could almost say lesser gods. But they're, 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 they were angelic beings. But those angelic beings at some point rebelled from God. And instead of taking care of humanity and helping them and serving them to know about the one true God, they somewhere along the way allowed humanity to begin to worship them. And they rebelled from God. They didn't protect God's people. They didn't protect the innocent. And those, they didn't didn't actually help provide for those who were in need that God assigned them to do. And David writes about this, this event and Psalms prophetically of the judgment coming to those rebellious adversarial angelic beings. This is what he writes in Psalm 82. You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die. In other words, they were not men. Like men now you will die and you will fall like any prince. So on the heels of this epic rebellion from God, the rejecting event of God from both his humanity and his angelic beings. God is still committed to rescue and save mankind. He's still committed to undo what their choice to sin and choice to turn away from him. He's still committed to do this. And so God enacts a plan that doesn't violate mankind's free will because remember God made mankind into his image In other words, he made them and gave them the opportunity to make a choice, to choose. And so God won't won't reverse what he did in them, but he sets a plan that doesn't violate their free will. And so as he assigns the different people groups and the borders to the sons of God, he chooses for himself his own people, his own land. They are his portion, his very own, who belong to him and to him alone. And he marks the land for them to be in. He marks the land for them to dwell in. And Moses writes of what happened after the rebellion at the Tower of Babel and the betrayal of God's angelic family. And he writes about this. He says this, Deuteronomy 32, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, Israel, his allotted heritage. So God chooses his portion of humanity to set aside. He sets them aside. Now, I want you to catch this for a moment because a lot of people miss it because again, they eisegete an event, but he set them aside for a purpose. One, he set them aside, he gave them the, the law and he gave all these rules and that was totally different than everybody else. But he had to lay some 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 guidelines because the the angelic beings of the world were going to try to seduce God's people. And so this way that these these people that he chose won't be seduced, won't be corrupted by other fallen beings. And God from the Tower of Babel 
from the original call of his portion, he enacts a plan. And we read about it out of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. In you, everybody say in you. All the families. Somebody say all the families. You know that's you, right? You know that's your family. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now again, there's a purpose. Everybody say God's got a purpose. God's got a purpose. So God calls Abram. Later, he changed his name to Abraham. But there's a bigger plan for his allotted portion. There's a bigger plan. And that plan is all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is part of Paul's message. This is part of, of what Paul preached. This is part of why you're here and why you have a relationship with God. And so this is how Paul clarifies how the nations will be, have been brought back to God and will continue to be brought back to God and how that promise would be fulfilled. Galatians 3.16 says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, uh, meaning many, but to and to your seed, meaning one person, my friends, who is Jesus Christ. So the blessing of the nations to the families, to your family, isn't about Abraham. It's not about the Jews. It's not about the land. It's about Jesus came through the line of Abraham, was preserved in the land of Israel, and was crucified and rose again in the land that belonged to God for the nations of the world to be able to be reinherited by God. That's a good plan, right? How many thankful for that, right? And so, that was a recap. And we continue, though, to read in the Old Testament the preservation of God's people. This is the backdrop of the Old Testament. It's Israel against the nations, the hostile nations against Israel, the gods, the little g's, the little g gods against the God, Yahweh. The rebellious, angelic sons of God always trying to seduce God's portion away from him to render them useless. God's portion, Israel, is of utmost importance because it's the big picture of what we just read. The coming, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the epic view. It's big. That's a big view. You go, wow, that's very interesting. It's a big view. But today I, I want to zoom in though. I'm going to zoom in from the epic view to the personal view. Many times we forget that the God that we serve is a personal God. And I want you to get a glimpse of one, what's at stake as we read through the Old Testament. This next, this text today is very interesting, but surprising for many, it's very personal. It's a, it's a window into what God wanted actually from the very beginning. What he wanted in Eden, what he wanted with Cain and Abel, what he wanted with Noah, and today, what he wants with you. We forget. And the reality is this, God wanted a family. And what's shocking about the God of the universe and the statement that I'm about to say is that 
He wanted a friend. And so you see God's heart searching for a friend. He wanted a friend to give purpose to. He wanted a friend to to do life with. And we see this, we begin to see the glimpse of this in God's relationship with Abraham. So what does God want? Many times when we ask the question, we think he, he wants something with somebody else, somewhere else, something else. But just for a moment today, can you focus your heart and your mind and can, can you just, just consider that God wants you to be his friend? That God wants you to be close to him? Not that he would demand from you or take from you or be mad at you and shame you. That's what we think God wants. Well, what if I was to say, God just wants you to be his friend? And we see that in this passage today, Genesis 15. This is the covenant of God with Abraham. But many times you miss the, the little things that are in here. And I believe God wants you to hear today. Genesis 15.1 reads this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now what we forget is after these things, we just, oh, yeah, we just read. Here's the question. What things? What things? Everybody say, what things? Well, 10 years ago, Abram was 75, and God called him out of Ur of Chaldeans, out of a place, and he left everything he had ever known because God said, come here, Abram. He left everything, left it all, family, left it all, packed up his stuff, put it on a cart, set out with his wife, Sarai, who would be called Sarah, she's 65, he's 75. And he also leaves with his nephew Lot. And so they, they head out and they're on their way and go, hey, Abram, where are we going? I don't know, but we're going. So he's on a journey after, after that thing is what this is talking about, after these things. So they left to start all over again, to, to go to a land they don't know of. And then after that, after the call of God, they went to a land named Canaan. Things weren't too bad and things were going well and then a famine struck. They run out of food. What do you do? You got to go to a place where there's food. So they pack everything up and, and they move and they find somewhere to survive and, and they go to Egypt but in Egypt, as he rolled into town, apparently Sarah's a good-looking woman. Abram's like, I know, she's 10 years younger than me. Huh. He knows what he's doing. But he rolls into town and everybody's kind of hey, glancing over. Who is that? 
Who's that woman riding with that man? And because Abram was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him and take his wife, he says, let me introduce you, Pharaoh, to my sister. Now, how many know they probably fought about that for the rest of their lives? You do know that, right? <laughs> Remember that time? Oh, my goodness. He said, just forgive me. Anyway, so. But he was afraid he'd die, so he, he tells Pharaoh, hey, listen, my sister. And so he lies, which is good news to Pharaoh. He says, great, come on, Sarah. And he brings Sarah into his household as one of his harem. Then stuff starts happening in the household, in the palace, and Pharaoh realizes, hey, hey, this girl ain't what she said she was and what that man said she, she is. This is Abram's wife. So Abram, you lied to me. And Abram says, yes, I did. I'm sorry. I was afraid. I thought you'd kill me. And so then Abram takes his wife back. And after that, after, after these things, they head back to Canaan. I suspect, again, it was a very quiet ride back to Canaan. <laughs> so they head back to Canaan where there's enough fertile land for Abram's herd and his nephew Lot for both of them to, to thrive. But all of a sudden, as they get there, there's actually not enough to sustain their herds. There's not enough to sustain their households. And so Abram says, listen, Lot, we can't stay here. We're, we're gonna just, we're gonna wipe the land out of its nutrients. We need to split up. And so Abram's a good guy. He says, Lot, you pick. You choose where you, where you wanna go. And so Lot chooses the good area. He picks good land, which includes a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they go their separate ways. This is after, after those things. All of this is leading. Abram's life is here and there. He leaves. He struggles. He fails. He gets some scars. He separates from family. He, he lies about his wife. He lies to Pharaoh. He's trying to survive and... Back of his mind has to be thinking, this is all because, God, you said you were going to do something. But Lot takes off, and what happens is there's a conflict in the land where Lot is, and a war breaks out in the, in the region where, where he is, and now Lot's taken as a prisoner of war. And Abram, because he's a good man, he goes and he rescues his nephew Lot, brings him back, it's after these things. And so when you read after these things, there's a lot of things that he's been through. There's a, there's a journey here that Abram has walked, not just with himself, his family, not with just his failures, not with just needs, not with just wondering. He's walked them with God. And these things, those things, wasn't so pleasant. But what's very evident to Abram or about Abram is that the God who called him, and just like for you, have you, ever, have you ever come to a season and you could say after these things, and these things is a lot of stuff you wish didn't happen in your life? You, you ever come to a place that you go after these things and someone says, what things? Never mind. It's too painful. 
I don't want to talk about it. Disappointments and mistakes and failures and marital problems and children problems and nephew problems and food problems and provision problems and pharaoh problems and I, I don't want to talk about it. After these things, after these things, have you ever been in a place you thought, God, I, God, I, I knew you were going to do something. I knew you were going to move in my life. I knew you were going to be with me and, and here I am. I don't see any of it. You ever been in a season after that thing? That's where Abram is. It's evident, though, that God was with Abram through all these things. Something for us to know today, that God is present with you in those things. Maybe you're in these things today. Maybe you look back and you go, man, that was the most difficult time of my life. And you go, but God, you were with me. But it's after these things. And as you read, you, 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 you see it. You, God was still with Abram the whole time. And God's still with Abram after those things. And so here's, here's God and here's Abram together. And this moment we're about to read says, Abram, hey, listen, I see, I, I see you, son. I see your scars. I see your pain. I see your weariness. I see the bags under your eyes. I see it. I see how cold Sarah is towards you. I see the struggle. Abram, listen, I see it all. And so God says, Abram, I want to have a heart-to-heart -heart with you. I want to talk with you. Abram, I see what you're concerned about. It hasn't, it hasn't escaped my, my, my view, son. I've been watching you. I've been with you. I know you've been through a lot. And I know the promise that I gave you That you will have offspring. I know you're wondering. Really? Abram, listen. It's still a promise. And, and maybe, you know, maybe Abram comes to this place and he's fearful. Now here's Abram with God and maybe Abram's worried about the hostile kings coming his way, destroying his land, taking his family like they did Lot or maybe... He's worried and fearful that he left his home for a promise that'll never happen. Something's going on here with Abram. Maybe he thought he messed up. Maybe he thought God's going to punish him because he lied. Maybe, maybe, maybe he thought, I missed God. I missed him. You ever thought you missed God, friends? I have. You, you ever thought, man, I walked this road and here I am. I, I thought this is what it was supposed to be. Did I miss him? Is he still with me? Do, did, did I leave him behind at the fork of the road and he went one way and I went the other? Abram has to be thinking this. He's supposed to have children. He's supposed to have, listen, he's supposed to have offspring that is to be a nation. Something, and something about this offspring is, is supposed to, to be a blessing 
to the world. How in the world is that going to happen? He's 85 now. Sarah's 75. He's like, I haven't seen any kids. She has not showed me the little stick with the two lines on it. We don't have anything in the oven. Something's going on. And God says, Abram, 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 come here, son. Actually, come here, friend. And God says this, Genesis 15, he says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And I want you to see this friendship, Okay. I want you to understand this is, a, this is what God wants. And I want you to see the interaction of Abram and God. And so Abram says, but Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Oh, oh okay, reward, it's big. What are you going to give me? I'm childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. In other words, he's not even my, if I die, he gets it. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, God. And a member of my household will be my heir. Really? This is the promise? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. In other words, God spoke. God's meeting with him. He says this, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now listen, listen, this is a friendship. God says, fear not, Abram. I'm with you. Your reward's going to be great. Abram responds, reward. These things after these things, this is my reward. I don't have a kid. You said I'd have offspring. I mean, this is, this is the, the mark of a, of a man in my time is, is to have a son. I, I don't have any. You said I would. And then here's, here's Abram. It's funny how Abram, there's some patterns in his life where he starts to think, you know, well, God, you said this, but maybe I need to help. And so how about this? Eleazar will be my heir. Maybe that's who you're going to. And this is what God says. This is so interesting. <laughs> the Hebrew doesn't say this man, this man shall not be your heir. Actually, it puts God's response. He puts this not, this, this, this word actually at the beginning, and it's no he will not be your heir. They sound like good friends, don't they? Well, you want uh, the guy in my household, I'll just give my, no. Emphatically, I don't think so. No. They're friends. God's meeting with Abram face to face. He's interacting with him as a friend. Now remember this interaction is also after some things, these things with God as well. Remember, God's Abram's friend. And so we could see, we could say this, after these things, God met with Abram. What things? What's God, what things has God been through? Well, after Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rejected him in the garden. After that thing. After, created, after, after he created supernatural beings, they rebelled and rejected him, wanted to push him out of the way and imitate God and actually be God and, 
and create their own human race, which we read out of Genesis 6. It's corrupting mankind so deeply that then God leans into Noah, brings a flood, and then repopulates the earth through Noah's family. And then they decide, we don't want you either, God. After these things, they wanted the glory. God says, I want to be your friend. And they said, I want you to bow down to me. The Tower of Babel, the rebellion scatters them on the earth. After these things, it seemed as though God, though, had given up after these things. But he doesn't. He chooses Abram. And their relationship, there's something about this, friends, that it draws me in. You have Abram after his things, you have God after his things, and you find these two friends. Something warms my heart. Something says there's something to this. And let me ask you a question. Could, could this be the way God wanted it to be from the beginning? Could this be the relationship that God created us actually for right here? We've seen it, Abram and God. Wait, is, is this what he wanted in the garden when he would come and walk with Adam and Eve and he would be with them and he would be a friend with them? Listen, he didn't come and walk with Adam and Eve because he had to. He was God. He created them. He came and he walked with them because he wanted to. He wanted them in his life. He wanted to be in their life. God created them to be his friend. He didn't have to meet Abram in this moment and assure him and say, you don't need to fear. He could have just stayed back and, well, I'm going to bring Jesus through your line. It's fine. I don't need to assure you. I don't need to take care of you. I don't just, I'll just make it happen. He could have done that. But he met with Abram because he wanted to, because Abram was his friend. So God says, Abram, you're going to have a son. It's not going to be Eliezer. It's going to be your son. Come with me for a second. Come here. And so God brought Abram outside. I love this picture. I grew up in the very rural farming area community. I love this. I used to go out and just look up and just see the stars. You could actually see them. But this is what God does with Abram. And so he brought him outside, verse 5, and said, look, look, Abram, come here. Look up. I want you to start counting. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Abram's like, one, two, three. I can't do this. It's too many. And he says, yeah, you're unable to count them, aren't you? This, this is a friendship. Sometimes we lose this, this context. And then he says to him, so shall your offspring be. Here's, here's Abram, outside with God, looking up. And God says, you see that? He's like, yeah. Can you count them? I can't count them. God says, hey, 
that's going to be like your offspring. You know what Abram thinks? I don't know how, but I believe you. I believe you. Every time I, I go to Israel, I do something. I always find a night, and I get out of the city, and, and I look up. And I see these stars, and I go, man, this is what Abram saw. And God says, Abram, I'll look up. Now, I want you to catch this for a moment. God says, Count them. I can't. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I can't. That's right. You can't. What I'm going to do through you actually is not about what you can do. Actually, you can't do it. And just like you can't number the stars, Abram, my friend, you can't make What's going to happen, happen. What's in your heart, you can't make it happen in your own power. I'm going to do it. And Abram says, I trust you. So verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him. God counted it to him as righteousness. And then God goes on to verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now again, remember the purpose. Don't lose don't lose connection with the purpose. The purpose is Jesus. The purpose is the nations. The purpose is God's love and plan for the nations. Verse 8, but he said, O oh Lord, how am I to know that I possess it? Why, what does this even mean? And God says, I'll show you. I'll show you how you're going to know. All right, Abram, bring me three heifers. Three years old, bring me a ram, three years old. Give me a, bring a dove and a pigeon. Now I want you to look at what he did with him. He cut them, Abram cut them in half. So he cut the, the heifers in half, one here, one here. He cut the ram in half, one here, one here. The birds, he, he didn't cut them. And so I want you to read this as we close this today, it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This is, he's just, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know. I trust you, God. But I, I mean, after these things, he was, he was going through a lot. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring, now listen to this, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is before the, the people, Abraham's seed or offspring was in Egypt or enslaved. But God's saying, I'm just, I'm letting you know. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. In other words, you're going to die a, a good, a, you're going to die very peaceful. And you shall be buried at a good old age. From this point, Abram lives 90 more years. In other words, you don't have to worry about it. You got 90 years, friend, to crank out babies. You're going to be fine. And they shall come back here. 
to this land where he was in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet completed. In other words, there's going to be enemies here. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on the day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river. And he goes through all the boundaries and he goes through all the enemies that are going to be in the land. And he does all of this. And God makes this, this promise to Abram. But Abram is asleep. God was, God was saying, I'm doing something here that's not just about you, Abram. It's about people I don't know yet and don't know me. My point for today is this friendship between Abram and God. It gives us a glimpse of what God's people are made for. Here you have the first person that God connects with and says, I'm going to bring forth my purpose. I'm going to make a new people. I'm going through you, Abram, I'm going to inherit all the nations of the world. Abram, you're going to have family. And guess what? God is a friend of Abram's. And guess what? God then will be a friend of Abram's offspring. So this gives us a glimpse of what God wanted from the beginning, a friendship. But to be more personal today is this. He wants and wanted a friendship with you. With you. He chose Abram for you. We lose sight of that. We think, oh, Abram, the Jews, Abram, the land, Abram, uh, no, no, Abram, you, you, you were on his mind when he chose Abram, you. He wants a friendship. And God is speaking to Abraham and God is speaking with him. What's he doing? What is, why do we have this? God is showing you this is what he wants with you. We think God is far off somewhere. We think he's somewhere with somebody else over there. Friend, he's with you. I don't believe that God speaks more to some people than others. I, I, I don't actually. I just believe that some are more open and active in their friendship with God. Therefore, they hear him. They draw near to him. And God sets his people aside and he starts with Abram. And why did he do it? He did it to show the nations of the world. Remember, remember God's doing something here. To show the nations of the world who thought life without him would be grand. It'd be satisfying. I can do what I want, what I please. And my flesh says I want it, then I get it. That's what I really want. But this relationship with Abram and the people of God is to be an example when the nations of the world realize this isn't so grand. The nations of the world, the people who thought these lesser gods that they're worshiping would meet their needs. They're going to meet my needs. I don't need Yahweh. I've got this bizarre lesser God. 
And as the nations came to the stark realization that both are a lie, I can't be satisfied without the one true God. And what I thought would be satisfying in my own flesh, I am broken and bankrupt. And so when they come to the end, the purpose of this nation, the purpose of the people of God, here's another one, the purpose of you and your friendship with God is when the nations and the lost come to the end of themselves, they look up and the nations would look up and see Abraham and the people of God. They see you and your friendship with God and they'd go, that's what I want. And we read God's story. And as we read God's story through this year, let me encourage you, get in the word. Read it, follow along. But as we read it, it's easy to see God then. Oh, there's God with Abram and God there. And I know God was with Abram. Yeah, I see him. I know God was with Moses. Oh, yeah, he's right there. But if we're not careful, we miss the reality that all of these things are glimpses. They are windows. They are examples of what, of what God wants to be with you, your friend. Yes, God was then, friends. But what I want you to know, what I believe God is saying to us today, he's there He's there, friends, listen, but he's with you here, right now, right now. He's a friend who's closer than a brother. He's a friend. Yes, he's your Lord. Yes, he's your God. But he's your friend. There's a reason when you read these words... There's a reason even right now, you're thinking, really? God wants to be my friend, really? I thought God just wanted to be my king. Well, he is our king. But he's, he's not like any king we've ever seen. He's a friend. It's a reason, you man, I, I wish I knew God like this. There's a reason in your moments of difficulties that you go, man, I wish God was here with me. I don't know what to do. Or I'm hurting or I'm disappointed or I'm frustrated and I'm in a famine in my life or I'm so disappointed in myself and I wish he was here. Wish he was here. There's a reason why you think that. Because he put that desire in you. He made you, he made you for what you desire, to be his friend. God makes this promise and Abram, again, he was asleep, meaning the promise doesn't depend on Abram to keep it. It depends on God to keep it with Abram. And this covenant was not just for God's friendship with Abraham. This wasn't a, a God-Abram thing. It was to carve a path. Now listen to me for a moment. It was to carve a path to the moment 
another covenant sacrifice would happen. So this is the Abrahamic covenant. But friends, it was to prepare for the new covenant sacrifice. But this time, the sacrifice isn't a bull and a ram. It's God's son as the sacrifice. God's very own God himself in the flesh. He doesn't pass between two halves of of an animal. He is raised on a cross between two thieves. He doesn't do it for just a people group, a nation, his group. He lays his life down for all the nations. That's you. He doesn't do it to rule and lord over them, lord over you. He does it to make you his friends. The covenant was an act of friendship to Abram for the purpose of preserving Abram so that the new covenant sacrifice could be made for you. Because what God wanted from the beginning is a friend. Most say, no, 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 not me. Uh-uh, no, no, I'll keep him at a distance. The devil makes you think God's at a distance. And God says, I'm actually near you. And I made a covenant on that cross with you. You weren't there either, just like Abram was asleep. You didn't exist. But I did it with you in mind. Because I want to be your friend. And like Abram, you can be his friend. James 2.23 says, Abraham believed God, and he was called the friend of God. Well, Jason, no, I, I don't. That's for Abram. Galatians 3.29 says, if you were Christ, then you were Abraham's offspring, your heirs, according to the promise. In other words, everything that Abram had, you can have through Christ. You, you, if, you don't, if you're not believing me yet, I, I want you to hear what Jesus said. John 15, I no longer call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you, what? Friends. God saved you to befriend you. He gave a son so that you are no longer a servant, but in Christ, you're a friend like he was with Abram. Let me encourage you today. God longs to be your friend. Don't keep him at a distance. Don't allow guilt, shame, condemnation, your own failures 
to keep you from him. Be a friend. And take a step towards him today. This is what this is a glimpse of. Of what he's going to make available through what we're celebrating this Sunday for you. Be his friend. Open your life to him. And come boldly into his presence and be a friend of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. We thank you for your kindness that was poured out to us. And today, God, we are left, probably many of us speechless, that you would want to be your, our friends. Lord, somehow in our minds that we've crafted this image that you're far off somewhere, distant from us. But today, we say, you're right here. And so, Lord, we open our lives to you, and we ask you that we would grow in our friendship with you over this year, that we'd hear your voice as we read into the scriptures, that you'd speak to us through the Spirit as we wait before you and be with you, walk with you, trust you, hear you, love you, and build our friendship. Lord, today we commit. We're going to work on our friendship. And by your grace, you're going to meet us as we take a step close to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for making us your friends. Just remain with your head bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, you've never come into a friendship with him, and you realize today, he is what you want. If that's you today, nobody's looking around, just raise your hand right now. Just raise it up and hold it up. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Amen, bless you. You can put your hands down, God bless you. The Lord wants to be your friend. Will you open your heart to him? If you want to be his friend, let's all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And you did it so that I could be God's friend. I give you my life today. And I believe you. And I love you. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Can we give a